Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Documentality, part of the Friends in Your Head network at friendsinyourhead.com. Each episode, we examine two or more documentaries through the lens of a common theme. This week's theme, trauma, how we cope with trauma from the past, how we process it, and even how we inflict it upon each other. We explore this theme through three films today, Dear Zachary, Blackfish, and The Act of Killing. So we're kicking off this uh, end of summer with a nice, joyful, uh, lighthearted romp. This through. is the biggest bummer, Eddie. Yeah, this is this is about as, as depressing as we could possibly get uh, here in this lovely, beautiful day in Southern California. But I think these three films are, are sort of important to talk about all at once because they all take single incidents from the past and explore the ramifications of like how a trauma from the past explores it. We'll go ahead and uh, start off with Dear Zachary, which if you haven't seen it by now, then you, you're you probably a much happier person than all three of us. Dear Zachary started off more of as like an experiment as a diary uh, of a very personal film. Uh, the filmmaker had grown up with this gentleman who was his best friend, had made tons of films with him. When he died, uh, he made it a mission to chronicle who his friend was to his newborn son, Zachary. We're going to be talking a little bit into spoilers uh, a little bit, so I'm giving you some warning now. If you view the trailer, you understand that the gentleman who was murdered, it was his girlfriend at the time. She became pregnant with uh, his son prior to the murder, and it just sort of unspooled into something much more, I don't want to say sinister, but something much more dark, uh, dark, extraordinarily dark. Teague, what did you think of Dear Zachary? First, I want to say, just heads up, uh, you know, a psychology represent both Dear Zachary and The Act of Killing have the potential of being trigger warning movies for you. Uh, if you have any sort of major like homicidal issues that have gone back into your past, we recommend these movies. They're good. I mean, they're bad for your soul, but they're good for you to see. Mm-hmm. But if trigger warning, just saying. Dear Zachary hurts to watch like it's along the lines of requiem for a dream in that it creates a new category of how you have to talk about a movie sometimes but it's not the requiem for a dream category requiem for a dream you talk about it like god that movie's great i hate it fuck that movie was impossible to watch i kind of want to watch it again but i don't like that's sort of how you have to talk about requiem for a dream dear zachary does that but cubed um it is almost an impossibly difficult film to watch as it goes on it gets just so tense and horrifying and it makes you rage at the screen and it's horrible and it's tense and mean and and it's the movie itself is documenting these incredibly tense and mean things is what i'm saying but the guy who's making the doc is so viscerally connected to what he's doing and what he's talking about and how he's presenting it that there's not the sort of distance sort of necktie getting back away and just sort of being didactic about the subject matter and laying out the whole sprawling issue here for you and here's where this happened and this is how that happened and this is what the evidence is for that. It's not that kind of a, you know, take a step back and look at everything kind of documentary. It feels very much like a first-person documentary. He's giving you the experience of being him as this information is coming out, knowing the context he has as the context is building for him in the moment, which, I mean, we already said spoilers, so let's assume that we've all seen it. If you haven't, this isn't really changing the experience of watching it much for you, but here's the spoilers so this lady started dating the guy that zachary's dad is andrew bagby andrew bagby and ultimately everyone was sort of spooked by her but it was fine and then he went missing and then it was evident to everyone that she had killed him and then she was sharing his, his child and over the course of this whole story unfolding you're meeting all of his friends and all of his uh his, his relatives and everything like his that awesome parents yeah his awesome 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 parents and andrew bagby um I'm sorry, the guy who made the film, the director, you know Kurt Kuhn. Kurt? Kurt Kuhn, yeah. Kurt uh, was making a, basically like a road movie talking about all of 
his dad's friends for Zachary to watch when he gets old enough to watch it. Here's what your dad was like, and here's this. He's not going to be around for you. Here's what your parents were like. Here's the lady that did this, even though, you know, she's your mom, but it's here's what they thought of her at the time, and here's all this other stuff. And he's, he's basically hurting like hell because one of his best friends has died. Showing them, or Zachary, all the little road trippy side snips, and your dad was a wonderful person, and you, if you ever need a place to crash for a summer, Zach, you have our, all, just all the time, yes, just... On the strength of credit of how much we love your dad, we love you that much as well. You have infinite credit with us. Come with us. And it's this really warm and sort of touching thing surrounded or surrounding this ball of fucking hurt at the very center of it, what Kurt's going through with his friend being dead. And as this is going on, they're learning more about the girl that was carrying and eventually gave birth to Zachary. And here's the big spoiler. Then she kills herself and Zachary. I think it's important to note at this point the reason why she was able to do this and not in fucking jail. Um, it became an interesting piece of Canadian Nova Scotian law. She she was a Canadian national. She fled to Nova Scotia and through a, just a bizarre loophole in their legal system, she could not be extradited for trial, uh, especially, especially while she was pregnant. So essentially she lived free while a case was being built, while they were awaiting trial. She lived there. And, to, and her, Andrew Bagby's parents... Just to show how more extraordinary as people they are, they moved to Nova Scotia to be there. Right. While this is happening, they're everyone that especially is close to the case, especially Andrew's parents, who are just the best people on earth. Like, let's just be clear about it. They're just the best people on earth. Are super worried that something bad is going to happen because the lady is like very clearly has got a mental thing going on. She's very clearly not safe. So they're very worried about it the whole time. And this is like their worst nightmare. And then it all happens. And this is all told, not like back Discovery Channel looking at it from, you know, made up CG shots. Never mind. No, but like it's not told clinically. It's told hurtingly. It's it eventually gets to the point where it's really towing the line for me to being almost exploitative as opposed to just real. Like he, he has a couple of like sound effect cuts and shit like that going on. But it boils down to me feeling this very visceral, not over the line, just close to the line. This is how it was to be in that experience as it was happening. Mm-hmm. Sort of visceral tore through this, this this like weird Pirates of the Caribbean that you just ride through looking around and seeing all the crazy and all the omens and all the shit. This is not going to work out okay and everyone's wonderful and still this woman is going to unravel the whole thing. And it was really powerful. I've seen it three times and I, I cried hard every time. And um, like I said, trigger warning, if you have a... If you have a, a kid, I don't know how the fuck Eddie watched this movie because he has a little boy. Uh, if you have a kid, Dear Zachary will stomp hard on your central nervous system. But it is a well put together film, and I liked it. In the in the way that you can say you like Requiem for the Dream or something, I, I think it's worth watching. The first time I saw it uh, was was prior to becoming a parent. I've seen it once since then, and and it it hit me even harder after watching it. I think that's due a large in large part to. Um, Kurt Kuhn, who it's it's not enough to call him the director. He's the editor, the cinematographer, uh, and this is largely the, the type of documentary this is 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 a largely um, you know interviews with archival footage, with home vid- a lot of home videos, a lot of photos, and then a lot of present day interviews. I think I think it's it works largely because Kurt Kuhn does a great job of doling out information at the right pace. And without ever tipping his hand about what's coming next, you don't really know about the big reveal until about thirty seconds before they finally say it. And those thirty seconds are kind of the largest of your life. Paul, what was your impression? How did it play for you? Yeah, um, it's important to frame that I saw Dear Zachary at the tail end of forty-eight hours of some kind of weird emotional masochistic trip 
that I was on. <laughs> sure. Because um, we had gone to see The Act of Killing. Right. And then the next day, I was like, oh, yeah, Blackfish. I'm like, why don't I? I'll just uh, get that out of the way, too. And then by the time I got home, I was like, this, okay, I guess there's no better brain space that I can be in just to gang all <laughs> of these together out. and then just... Uh, to check out Dear Zachary. Emotional masochism, ladies and gentlemen. And, it's kinda, yeah. and that was kind of the inspiration for the framing device of this episode was to put all these three together because yeah. you had plowed through them and yet you're somehow alive. The way that it's constructed very much um, was kind of more evident, I think, especially in contrast to The Act of Killing, which is very it's a clinical. Lot of but it's, it's a lot of verite. It's a lot of verite yeah. and a lot yeah. of just sort of just... It's like you're sitting in a bar having somebody tell you this amazing story and they're telling this part, but they are really good at telling the story, and they've rehearsed it their entire lives, so they know exactly when to say, and then the car right. broke down again. Right. And it's constructed very specifically to have to accomplish those tasks. Which is why I give a lot of credit to Kurt Kuhn, because I think like there, there's so many ways the story could have been told, and it, it would have led with... The final act, the fact—I mean, or it would have—it would have gotten into the big reveal, sort of ham-fistedly. But the, the the specific timing of the larger reveal came at such a perfect moment because by this point, you've already seen a ton of home movie footage of um, uh, of uh, Zachary Bagby, the, the baby, a ton of footage of him just being and existing and playing. Like he's he's real to you. You see him, and there's a whole scene in there where they talk about, like, well, there was never any question that it was Andrew's child because they look exactly the same, and my God, do they. He looks exactly like his father. Not just like, lol, my kid looks like me. No, seriously, looks exactly like the same. Right, and, and it's like, the, I mean, even the, the initial reveal, um, the, the top of the movie starts off by Kurt Kuhn saying, look, I'm a filmmaker, and I grew up basically with my best friend making movies, and you see all of their movies that they made as kids and that is so charming so if there is such a thing as a quote save the cat moment in a documentary that's it because you're immediately like cool I like these I like this guy I like these guys well there was also 25 minutes of every single person he had ever met espousing that he's like the best guy that they right. had but then also not known. but well, I love how at one point they were like can we say the negative stuff too? He's like he was kind of like brickheaded and this and that, and he's you know he had this flaw and that flaw, which I like that. Well, not only that, and I think part of the reason why I think part of the reason why the why the big reveal works is because the motivation for the film isn't this ultimate tragedy. He sets it up in the first ten minutes that after after um, Andrew died. I found out he was this amazing photographer and that was a side as I, one of his best friends never knew about him. So then I realized even though I know him well, it's not enough. And so that was what initially about him motivated to him tell to, Zach yeah, to, to, to fly around and, and do all this stuff. So at that point you're, you're bought into the premise of it. And so that way when the real emotional punches are coming, they, they don't come out of left field because you've obviously, obviously established that this woman is crazy, but they, it's the worst possible imagination. The ultimate feeling I had when they started that sequence uh, with the final reveal about about Zachary and his mother oh, dying, fuck man, it's it, coming back to me right it now. It had this, it had this, it had this feeling of no, stop, no, stop, no, stop, no, stop, no, no, stop. no, no, like you actually, I, I, I was watching it on a on a streaming device, and I, I literally screaming at my screen at this point, like no, don't. And then at that point, I remember just like this moment of surrender, of just like fuck, it happened, didn't it? And then sure enough, that was the reveal. <laughs> um, what I was really impressed with editorially was the rate with which the the information came it, it's not a slow movie like if you watch the way it's cut, no it's excellently paced yeah so i mean how did that play for you t well it played really well because this is the sort of thing where i'm more curious about your thing but i'll set it, i'll set you up for the question because you're the documentary editor but this is the sort of thing where this story is huge there are we'll say i think 30 maybe 35 you know talking head interviews between different people there's like 35 characters in this movie there's a lot of information to get across 
This is the sort of thing that could be made wrong in like most of the ways. Like mm-hmm. it's like, are you familiar with knot theory? K-N-O-T, knot theory. Why do my headphones always get tangled up? It's because there's only one condition wherein they're not tangled and every other condition they're tangled somehow. There's only one way to not screw this movie up. Maybe two. But there's all the other ways to screw it up. And with all that information, let alone the fact that this guy is clearly spending a lot of time in the edit room crying on his keyboard while he's making it. Like this is a really hurting film. This, this film hurts to touch for him, I think. This is the sort of thing you could really screw up, and he totally does it. The pacing is great. Uh, there's only like a couple of moments where I thought, okay, we get it, and that was what Paul mentioned, where they went on the you know five or eight minute long montage of all the things that are great about him. After a certain point, you you get it. You you agree with okay, there's enough circumstantial evidence here to agree that he was probably a cool dude. We got it. But that didn't bother me too much. And as the overall sort of, it it feels really awful to use terms like this when you're talking about a, a real case of a real kid and his real dad, and real laws getting changed and everything. But the beats of how this story is told were arranged in a really great sort of uh, tension and release sort of pattern. It was perfect. It wasn't totally traditional, but it was perfect for what it was. But I'm curious how you guys felt about, in addition to all that, and I stand by it, where did you guys come in terms of the line I was talking about earlier, where there was a certain level at which, you know, the, you know, normal color, invert color, normal cover, thunderclap, cat scream, red overlay on the text sort of, horror movie visceral in your face grabbing at the lowest common denominator feeling punch editing style can be overdone i don't think it was here but it did get close for me and there was a couple times where i was like oh dude keep it together keep it together just tell us the story and i was worried on behalf of the editor that he was going to lose control over his movie for a second did well, you guys experience well, that well firstly the editor was cuckoo himself he had yeah well that's himself. what i figured i mean it's it's kurt trying to tell the story um i the, wonder if he thought he had lost us i think there's a no i think there's a line i think it's i mean because he does slow down i mean there are moments where he slow downs and opens up and then after, oh, i'm sorry real quick and to note that only happens like once or twice for like two seconds each right uh it's, it's important to note that you don't i mean there is a during the film there is a photo of Andrew Bagby's body as it's found Andrew being the father um, so you see you see him dead for a second but that doesn't come until the, the very 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 end you know that doesn't come until the last six minutes or so um, so there was a certain amount of restraint so he knew exactly when to hold it uh, with the aggressive sound design being what it was with some of the really aggressive cutting being what it was it's kind of like the end of seven for a second there. I, yeah and I think th- and I think that's by design I mean part of it may just be you know he had no visual effects budget and I think if this was a oh, I see I think if this is a, a film made for HBO films where you can have someone with a bit more uh, visual vocabulary when it comes to post you can do a bit more. I, uh, you know, not to discuss another film, but I was recently watching Manhunt, which was the uh, the hunt for Osama bin Laden. They do an amazing graphical element uh, of a um, a connection board, which is what the actual CIA agents and analysts do with data, and they throw it up on board and they draw lines and all this other stuff. This uses this as a common motif. I, I don't think Kurt Kuhn, while a very skilled filmmaker, necessarily possesses the skill to visually convey and post some of what he was going for. It's a very low budget, modest film. And you can, I mean, it doesn't, it's not masterfully shot. It's not an Errol Morris film by any sorts of imagination that doesn't diminish it in any way. In fact, it felt quite appropriate for the aesthetic they were going for. Yeah. The thing, it knows exactly the story that it's, that it has been trying to tell and Mm -hmm. exactly what effect it wants to get out of the audience. It's emotionally didactic on purpose. Oh, wait, I think I, I have a, I think I know what you're talking about because it hadn't occurred to me, but Eddie's talked about this concept before in different terms, but I didn't get it. But I think this is what he was talking about and what you're talking about now. It doesn't feel like the kind of documentary where he locked a sequence and then moved on to a different one. 
it feels like a movie where every single sequence is playing with something that's in your head so that it lands later. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a live edit for the whole movie as opposed to, you were saying, cool, I finished a little chunk about this. Done forever. No, you were saying that you were kind of like, okay, why are they like laying in everything about how great this guy is? It's because the rest of the movie kind of bends on her feelings towards him. And he's never really a character. He only has these third-party accounts of people and the archival footage. And he exists only as a memory to other people, even for you having just met him. But he's, yeah, if if he's not a cipher and it's not, it's not a a construct. Like every time, like there's footage of Andrew and he's on screen, he feels very much alive. Yeah. He's totally a, like a cohesive character, despite having not really existing during during the the production. Uh, It's, it's important. Yeah. So it's important to note that as the only probably 30% of the story has happened, when the film movie starts. when the when the well when the movie starts getting shot like when it, the story happens right. it starts like in media race of this entire actual occurrence happening with Zachary's mother like um safe in Canada right and him just kind of Dealing with that by going Andrew around just talking to everybody killed. he had ever met. Yeah. I, I think I think it's I think it's um the, you know this film. T- I mean this. Sadly, we live in a in a world in which stories like this have happened before. They will happen again. Um, what's unique about this time though is that these guys came of age in the birth of home video, so therefore their childhood was documented. Andrew and and Kurt. Um, and so because of that, you have, you know, a, a thing you always hear in documentaries is access, you know, like a lot of a lot of films live in, and fail and, and and at times don't even get made because of access. How, wh- what is your level of access to the subject, to the people you're discovering? Um, and for events that happen in the past, all three films that we're talking about today have occurred in the past. Access is key. So in a film like this, where it's all access to the past, it's so dependent on film, on video. And I think a huge chunk of this film, especially since as the focus sort of shifts about the movie being about Andrew to being about Andrew's parents, who are like the real heroes of this thing, so much depended on their... Uh, and and props to them for doing it from a legal perspective, but they recorded just about every phone conversation they ever had with uh, Zachary's mother. I'm sure on behalf of counsel, like I'm sure, yeah, they were told, exactly. Record every fucking conversation, exactly. And and so much of this depends his, his on his parent, his parents, and the ladies. What we're talking right. about, those and, conversations are all in. And, and and just their own ability to document and their own what and a huge part of this film and what you know what a, the, a large part of the middle section is is the fact that in order to see their grandson they had to also see the woman who killed their son yeah and killed their yeah yeah and, and they had this, to like get on phone call and, and figure out when they're going to do handoffs and, and stuff exactly they're, they're talking to his murderer all the time and not just that it's just like i mean there's like home movies of like and there's one moment that broke my heart where they they put Zach, when zachary's first learning to walk and they put zachary on his feet and literally right next to each other is his grandmother andrew's mom and his mother and Zachary just basically hauls ass and runs towards his grandma. Yeah. And you see, I mean, especially what was interesting for me seeing this after being a parent is seeing how Zachary responded to his mother and those, that intimate home movie stuff, I think is what carries the middle section is, is to me the key to the whole thing. If you, it's, it's, it's not easy to set up the beginning, but he, he set up the beginning. Like that was done. I think if there was a section that was locked, it was that beginning. Yeah, I agree. The ending is what it is. But to me, the real master, like the mastery of this film is in the, is in the middle section because that's what carries you towards a conclusion you think you're reaching. And, and if, if, if that failed, I think the rest of the film wouldn't have worked. I agree with you. Now, one of the things, like I, I got, I get really upset every time I see this for a number of reasons. One, kids, oh god, and two, 
I've, I've dealt with... Uh, she. We never actually find out if she was diagnosed or what her diagnosis was. In fact, I think the court said she was fine and safe and no mental health risk at all. Mm-hmm. But my guess as a total layman would be... I'm 100% certain she was dissociative. She has dissociative identity disorder. She's borderline. She's gone. She has no ability to reconcile the reality of a situation with how she perceives it. She's gone. Uh, and that can lead to incredibly evil behavior not necessarily an evil person although that's subject for debate and she'd be pretty she'd be short on the list she'd be first up against the wall as far as i was concerned on casting that aspersion but evil behavior at least and one of the things that i was really upset by is just flashbacks to episodes i've had with people of that ilk Mm -hmm. and i was getting really upset with it and one of the things that paul said because he he and i watched it i watched it with him when he watched it for the first time (laughs) he said he made this really interesting point he said it's startling that the worst people on earth have the most effect on the best people on earth mm-hmm. and the, the the crazy fucking inversion of everything between this lady and his parents like they are the best people on earth and they had to be strong in the face of this just to see their grandson they had to interface the middleman between them and their grandson the, the son of their kid who was killed is this lady that killed her son like no it's it's like a positive negative yeah. kind of polarity thing of like this surplus of empathetic reaction into the vacuum of zero i, I need all of your attention yeah right. what you know what do you and this is the one thing that i've i've you know that it didn't occur to me the first time while i was watching the film because every time i saw zachary's mother on screen i was just like hate 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 like but the second time watching it through i really tried to not necessarily put myself in my, her shoes but to sort of connect with her how did you feel Paul that the film presented her as like an actual character because we talked about like Andrew being do you mean, do you mean like was it fair I mean not necessarily fair because I mean I, I guess maybe but I I want to see if she was fully fleshed out do we really ever got a sense of who she was or her motivations they talk about her former lovers and what happened with them and all that yeah that that is in there um the problem is it sort of telegraphs a little bit of her as a problem right from the very first moment that you meet her. Right. When they they show some of the home video footage of like her at a party, like when they just met her, like yeah. they start doing stuff where it's like, oh, she's you She's awkward if, at the if you watch but if you watch it closely you can be like, okay, so it's this kind of person. So they could have this starts leaning on the act of killing a little bit more. Yeah. Where you have very, very, very little, if nothing, in the way of casting specific aspersions onto people and just kind of leave you to develop your own feelings towards them. And what an interesting transition we have with that. Uh, because, th- whereas, you know, Dear Zachary, like I said, is a film, uh, you know, as, as its narrative devices are built, it's it's a film where it relies heavily on on past footage. And it's 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 similar to a how Blackfish, and we'll get there in a minute, where it's modern day interviews set against and contrasted with images from the past. And Dear Zachary works because of the narration, I feel. And that's that's one of the instances where narration absolutely guides you uh, without pulling you, without leading you. And it, it's there to support narratively uh, the emotional journey you're taking with that film. As a contrast, we have The Act of Killing. The Act of Killing came out last year uh, and it was directed by Joshua Oppenheimer. 
kind of hard to come by right now. Dear Zachary, you can find on most media websites. Yeah, you can find Dear Zachary on iTunes. You can find Dear Zachary on Netflix streaming. And we'll, and we'll come back to Dear Zachary. They, they struck a deal where the act of killing is about to be released streaming for free for the entire nation of Indonesia. Exactly. Which and and we'll and we'll but get into that. It's technically is, not out yet. It's technically not out yet. We've it's it played at a lot of festivals last year. I know Drew McQueen at HitFix had it. On his top ten of 2012, he had it at like number three, uh, and so and it's been playing certain art house films. Uh, Paul and I saw it at CineFamily um, uh, here in LA, and I would say with, with, with talk about a film. The one thing that does have in common with Dear Zachary, Dear Zachary was a film where the motivation to make it was one thing. They go, he was going to go out there and make basically a, a, an instru- almost an instructional manual on how to understand your father. And then in the process of that, it became something very different. The same thing with The Act of Killing. For those of you who don't know The Act of Killing... Um, this fucking movie. Yeah, seriously. Um, there, I don't think it's hyperbole to say I've never quite seen a film, let alone a documentary like it's a, it's it. It's a powerful artifact. It's, it, yeah. and it, it's, it, it's kind of super filmic. It almost eclipses the genre... It almost eclipses the media. And who, wants I, and again, a, who wants to do a premise here? I, well, I'll, I'll take it. Um, Wait, can, I, can I also add a little framing? The, yeah. uh, Dear Zachary, in Dear Zachary, three people die. Y- yeah. In uh, in this movie, it's somewhere between one and five million people yeah. had died um, immediately prior to it. So a little bit of historical context. In Indonesia in the 1960s. 65 and 66. 65 and 66, there was a revolution. Uh, basically, an overthrow of um, communist, uh, basically a communist, uh, not a, just a communist gov- government. Which uh, it was one of those things where it was support, it was financed from Western governments. So you know, there's that financed by Western governments like um, America and England, and I think a couple others. And it it was a holocaust. It was a holocaust. Basically, uh, a fascist uh, military junta happened that was in coordination with organized crime elements in the uh, government in, 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 in not just in the government but just in the, in the citizenry I mean you know all the conspiracy theories you hear about you know the mob having something to do with JFK's assassination take that times a million and make it real and uh, and you have essentially what happened in Indonesia um, like Paul said somewhere between one to five million people died. It's impossible to actually calculate because many of the bodies were burned. Um, we can we can say two and a half. Two and a, a, yeah, two and a half is a, a fair thing is for, a, is for a the fair, sake of conversation. A fair estimate, roughly two and a half million people died, um, and some of them were communists and many were not. Many of them were. It was totally a McCarthy thing. Ethnic Chinese. Uh, there, there is a and and if you ever and by the way, for anyone in the South or Midwest thinking like, well, aren't all Asians the same? No, they they're. I mean, the vivisection between cultures like they. Many of them hate each other as much as you know there would be any other kind of racism out there. So if you're ethnically Chinese, ethnically Thai, uh, ethnically Vietnamese, and you live in Indonesia, you 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 do not have it easy. Um, this film started off with Joshua Oppenheimer coming to just kind of I think it was start off as like a small film, and the thing he was struck about, and the thing that they talked about at Cinefamily was that when you would go and you would talk to just the average person in Indonesia, you'd be like, oh yeah, that my neighbor down the street here. Uh, killed my wife's entire family. Killed my you wife's should go entire talk family. To him. You should go talk to him. The fact is, is that this is trauma inflicted on each other, and it's not even that far removed. It's not like us when we talk about the Civil War being 150 years ago and and, and saying, well, you know, my great-grandmother was a slave and your great-great-grandfather was a slave owner. It's this like, like no, a couple years before my, Eddie was born. My uncle killed your grandfather, uh, and we have pictures. I mean, it's... it's, it's we it, still haven't framed what this movie is so i'm I'm getting that right now so when he got so when joshua and i had to set that up kind of lengthy to set up the premise joshua oppenheimer found a certain set of uh 
basically communist uh, or not kind of executioners. Type, executioners, gangsters. They were, they were gangsters. They were gangsters turned executioners. They worked for the mob in association with a few uh, military owners. Um, to also clarify, it's not really mob. It's more like government sanctioned paramilitary. It, exactly. Exactly. It was a paranoid. I mean, think about like the you know deputizing the mob. That's essentially what they did. Um, so, and then he finds a couple specifically who were. Prior to the revolution, they were mobsters who worked at the local movie theaters. They would basically fleece money off of moviegoers, and they loved the movies. And so Joshua Oppenheimer, as the director of this film, convinced these mobsters, like, hey, why? Because when you go there, they don't hide away from it. They're proud of it. They talk about they're it. They're national like, heroes. They're national heroes. The entire society supports these people as, you know, as God's warriors. And they look at, and, and so Joshua Oppenheimer came to them and said, why don't we film some recreations? Why don't we make a movie? Uh, about everything you guys did and it starts and off they're like okay and they're like absolutely we love movies i mean the op- from the opening shot it's this bizarre fever dream it's the middle section of apocalypse now made reality where it's just it's completely surreal and these guys are just reenacting these horrible horrible acts and what Joshua Oppenheimer does is he has them play not only themselves but also the people that they killed uh, this completely floored me and like you're I said you're watching guys who killed thousands of people each in the service of killing millions of people total reenact how they killed them and talk about it like it's how they you know used to be fishermen through different what, genres like they'll have like the musical number and they'll have the, like the, the cowboy film, scene the, the film, film noir scene. number yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and so what, see what was your takeaway when you finally saw it because I haven't actually talked to you since you've seen it well, that's a it's a it's a hell of a thing. Like there's a lot of this movie is nothing if not complex and also does nothing but illustrate like nine or ten different very complex things about people. So there's like way too much to talk about this movie in like half an hour, much less like a three minute intro thing. But first of all, holy shit. <laughs> because these guys exist and who knew oh my god but like you're following a couple guys one of them's name is uh Erman. one is anwar congo anwar, uh herman anwar yeah and there's a few others yeah and uh these are guys that are plaintively totally in your face don't care murderers like thousands of people like we laugh we we, we have fun with it we go on tv shows and talk about it it's fine which right off the bat is like what say what and then the more you find out about them, the more they're like, yeah, and, you know, we were basically just that guy. I don't like your face. You're a communist. Come here. And then he's dead. Like, it was it was so judge, jury, executioner crazy that on the face of it, it's insane. Then there's the whole pride angle where they're super psyched about it and not as much in denial as you would think, or at least not visually as much in denial as you would think on the front of it. It's not like they're like, no, it was fine. And we were justified. We're just doing our jobs. It's fine. Like, they're not defensive about it at all, at all. Which is also sort of jarring. That sets you back a little bit. There are a couple moments where Anwar's like, "Yeah, I had these like really awful nightmares like all the time, but it's okay because it was for the country." Right. Well, and there's that one moment. It's like you know, I've I've had to, early on in the film, Anwar says, "You know, I, I've uh, it's been a little tough, but you know, I've tried to celebrate the happy things in life. I like to dance, and I've you know try you know sometimes a little marijuana, sometimes a little ecstasy. And it's like, but dancing is my thing. And then he dances for like four minutes, and it's and that scene happens. I mean, I don't, I don't want to throw away the movie for everyone, but that scene he he goes to basically he's, he's standing on his own personal 
professional he, killing field he goes office. To his, he goes to his killing office. It's a rooftop he, of this movie theater that he used to fleece people at. And he shows you, like, he, like, has one of the one of his buddies who's with him. Like, okay, lean over there. And he has some wire. And he ties it up to the pole. And he shows you, this is how I'd kill them. And this is the best way. Because initially, there was too much blood. And it stank. It was awful. So we kill them like this. And this, that, and the other. And he's like, and over here, a bunch of here. Then you drag a, a bag over their head and their feet. So people can't really see how horrible it is. Because it's kind of ugly to look at, you know. And he's just talking about this. And then he's like, yeah, it was a long time ago. These days, I just try to, you know, forget the memories. And I like to dance. And he just starts dancing right there. Just right there. Just doing the cha-cha. And then it's a, it's a kind of a long movie. It felt longer, although uh, I think it's only about 115 minutes, a little bit less than two hours long. Um, by the time it's done, and... It's, it's over two and a half hours And long. thank God at the end, and again, you know, spoilers, but just watch the movies anyway. Uh, at the end, he does have a mental breakdown and go, oh my God, I get it now. Oh shit. As a result of one of the reenactments wherein he plays one of the torturees. Um, of his own. He does have a breakdown. Method. Thank God for that. That puts a little bit of a a button on the movie, and it's like, okay, at least I got to see that a little bit. I have very complex of feel- feelings about it as a movie. It has like an almost universally high rating. It's like 98 on Rotten Tomatoes. I see why, because this is the sort of movie, talk about access, that you never, ever get to see. There's probably not, like the other day, like last week, they found a canyon uh, buried under Greenland that is like twice the size of the Grand Canyon. It's a huge, huge, huge part of Earth's geography that we didn't know about until last week. Probably not going to find another one of those ever again. Like, we thought we knew the whole Earth. Then that happened. Like, okay, now we're not going to find anything ever again. Uh, It's like that. It's that scope of you're never going to get to see this movie again. Never again are you going to find this level of systemic uh, justification and denial and all of this stuff. And these guys were proud of it. And then the opportunity to slowly because they love movies make movies with them starring in them until they break down and realize what they had fucking done you're never gonna get to make that movie again and that is so brazenly in your face amazing that it happened at all that you're taken aback by it and there's a possibility for you to go to 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 take that as the quality of the film itself and just go holy shit this movie and go you know 10 stars i don't i'm not trying to dismiss critics but i didn't think it was actually that excellent of a doc to be honest, there were, I thought there was some stuff missing and I thought it was a little overcrowded in places. Um, it, it, it loses its focus a little bit. It's, it's, it's soaking in its own juices the whole time, but there's a lot of little stray subplots that ultimately the question is, what's this movie kind of doing? What's it about? And aside from horrifying you, which it does in spades, um, mostly the arc of anyone in this movie is happening with Anwar and it doesn't. It's not much of an arc. It's mostly like a long, slow incline, and then at the last minute, drop, and then credits, where he has a breakdown. And I, it, it's the sort of movie that's kind of hard to watch. And then also, it's not exactly a movie that I'd want to watch again, even if it wasn't. I potentially have an answer to that, but I want to. I want to hear Paul's uh, because Paul actually started uh, when we left the theater. Paul was pretty livid if you can ever envision Paul Samagata livid but you had a very strong reaction to the film then and you have since kind of come around so I want you to talk about that yeah I, I've like it's trying to do something almost impossible for the medium mm-hmm. to accomplish what's it trying to do it's like really bizarre really terrible set of circumstances that they're trying they're using filmmaking as a device to recreate and illustrate a lot of this for color like just to help flesh out a lot of the weirder parts of getting people to kind of open up and explore the stories a little bit more. But it's coloring how sort of mundane it was. Like, it's it's the problem where everybody is a result of the environment in which they exist and mm-hmm. function. To them, they're the highest functioning versions of themselves that they could be given 
the world in which they existed. Is your thing? Does it have to do with the overpowering amount of horror mixed with the overpowering sense of banality that they feel about it? When I first came out of the movie, I was struck by how how much room it had to breathe and how much it was letting you kind of process everything right. at the same time while introducing these like occasional sort of like grand kind of cinematic moments cinematic moments um, the bizarre moments of like hula dancers coming out of a, a giant fish statue mouth while herman by the way uh for a, a a genocidal maniac herman is one of the best comic relief characters in cinema this year and he is needed throughout this he is this bizarre too strange to occur in fiction can only happen in real life he's kind crunk. of people he he's yeah he's crunk uh and then there's a whole subplot with him, but he is amazing. Anyway, go ahead. Um, Did you not like it when you walked out of it? I I wasn't sure where to put all of the the feels, thoughts, and <laughs> reactions that I had at the time. Um, so it was it was just sort of, I was trying to figure out like is it a way that it was constructed? Is it the what was the deficiency was? that you were trying to explain? I don't know it might have just been that i was worried that i as an audience member hadn't given it enough of my attention or enough of my processing power Mm -hmm. um so it took me a while to kind of get on that but the more i I thought about it like thinking about it like every single day since i saw it and have come to really 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 come around on everything that it was trying to do really yeah because you and i talked about it i think yesterday before you watched it a second time and you and i were pretty much on the same page in fact you were farther on my page than i am Mm-hmm. And now you're on the other side of it. Yeah, it, there's. What, every, did you miss something, or did you just need two watchings to let it like soak you, or what? Yeah, yeah. I had to spend more time thinking about exactly what it was doing, and like Anwar actually is a little bit more sympathetic and a little bit more on the side of like, this is really fucking with me than he had been like than I had remembered through that. Well, I'm you it, yesterday, it, so what am I not noticing yet? What will I? What will I gather? When I first left the film, I thought that the last five minutes should have been the second half. Right. After he breaks down, he's like, oh my God, what have I done? Yeah, because they do this one gangster scene where Anwar is the victim. And they have Herman like wrap him in his wire and start pulling. And then he's, he freaks out and goes, no, stop, stop, stop. And then later, they're in his house just replaying some of the footage that he's watching because they're all super proud of all the stuff that they've been like that they've been calls making. the they've grandkids been, into the room they've been making him. the movie he goes and wakes up his grandchildren and pulls them in and sits come them watch, down come watch grandfather get beaten up yeah he's like here come here watch this movie we're, have, we're getting beaten up and then he's sitting there and he's watching it and it's like and the kids kind of float away and you can't tell if it's out of boredom or disgust and it's the only moment and then he goes yeah this this freaked me out because I, I felt like all of my hope was lost and I felt this fear descend upon me and I knew I was going to die and now Dig- I know it, my dignity was taken away right and my dignity was taken away and now I know exactly how everybody that I killed felt well he's like he's and like then, did I do that Joshua talking to no, you but then, yeah but then like so it's the so he says and I knew exactly how that felt and then Joshua in the one moment where you hear the director mm-hmm. speaking off camera on the entire the entire documentary mm-hmm. he goes no they felt worse they knew they were going to die they were you were actually going to kill them. This was not pretend. You knew you were going home. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. And the, it, yeah. that's, that was the, like, he had been hinting through the entire film that like, yeah, I get these really awful nightmares and then sometimes I feel terrible about it, but it was, you know, it was, yeah, for the country. And then he feels a little bit better about it, but this time he's just horrified. He's visibly shaken by yeah. that because he finally starts to develop that kind of crazy empathetic response of, whoa, these were actual human beings like me right. that had yeah. their entire 
one of the things that before we get to your second half where now how you feel about it now one of the things that i noticed and it, it put a weird spin on it for me where i didn't know exactly how to feel about it obviously i knew exactly how to feel about it but it it, it, it colored it differently was one of the things they talked about was one of the overriding like even in the actual constitution of indonesia from what i understand one of the five pillars or it's not pillars that's different but you know one of the five main tenets of the constitution is this belief in a singular god and one of the things in the sort of community is there is the you know human world there is this plane and then there is the spirit world and a lot of what i think helped them justify this is their belief that we're just getting rid of these bodies because these bodies are screwing up our on earth politics and they're just going to go to the spirit world now go away yeah, there's there's a moment at the end of the movie. They were just like extraditing the, the the going to heaven process. There's a, mo- there's a moment at the end of the movie during the big musical number under a waterfall, where like right at the end of the film, he yeah. has he's one playing of the, like the angel of death. Yeah, he's playing the angel of death and has a prisoner, a prisoner actor come up and goes, "Thank you for relieving me and sending me to heaven." Takes a wire off of his head, like there was a wire around his neck. He takes a wire off his head, hands it to him, and then shakes his hand and then delivers that line. Um, and and what's the best part about this? Not not the best part, but um, the it's not a huge lavish production. I mean, these, this, it's basically public access film school level of production value in these little recreation scenes that you're seeing. Although the film noir one, I was ple- I was like yeah, pleasantly, was right. I was pleasantly surprised was by right. the cinematography. I was like, um, that looks like a crime movie. Good job, DP. And and and, and so and yet lighting these a guys, bunch of murders. And and what what is a great contrast to all this horror is like these guys are just genuinely loving to be involved in like the the movie magic aspect of it, which is what for Anwar. Um, is what started because he loved movies and that's what you know he loved he loved going to the cinema not just to fleece people and get and shake them down for money for you know extra ticket money he loved just being a part of that and his anger at communism was the the first thing the communists did was shut down you know uh, the flood of of western movies that made it into his country so the 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 whole act of, of filmmaking became like this huge sort of framing device for his journey and i think Part of and and, I, and I'll go ahead and let you finish here, but like I think part of the movie works because of that because you're able to see Anwar has this romanticized idea of what life is supposed to be partially through movies, and it's ultimately that that sort of undoes and and awakens him to reality for me at least. Not to mention the fact that he mentions that he literally got his idea for the Garrett thing that he became his signature move from a movie. And and they also they idealize this idea of gangster. They keep saying gangster in a, in English means free men, which. I, I don't think that's the etymology of the, of the word, but uh, that's and, and they 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 associate it with that. For me, the film works largely because, um, and I understand T your issues with its pacing and with how much time you spend in the world. I would say think of the movie almost like we've landed on another planet populated by oh, I several million people, and so therefore, in order to understand, I, I think every second you spend on what may seem like a superfluous moment is absolutely necessary because I think it makes Anwar's turn at the end all that much more extraordinary because society has elevated him and propped him up to be a hero, to be all the stuff. And everybody deep down, we want to be the heroes of our own story. So if you have an entire nation telling you you're a hero, uh, especially when you can trust... Because they're too afraid to tell you anything else. Uh, agreed but and but regardless like i mean that's that's a that might not be the case that you can't i mean you don't know i mean there's a good chunk of the newsroom scene the scene where the director of the broadcast television interview Hmm. like she's just like this is fucked up i can't believe these guys are actually talking about she's from there 
she didn't have that strong reaction. She's like, how many people do they kill? A thousand? Like, do these guys, like, how do they sleep? Like, no, no, no that, that wasn't it. it I, was, she was disgusted. I I, yeah, disgusted, but it's like, they, but that's not foreign to her. You know what I mean? She lives in that country in which all of this occurs. You know what I mean? She's, no, but that illustrates a, a color of the society that isn't really touched upon in the film anywhere else, which is not everyone thinks they're gods. Oh, clearly not. Clearly not. And you can see the palpable fear and everyone else's eyes, like when they go to villages trying to reenact small scenes, like there is palpable fear of these people. But that fear, that power, that that hero worship from a, a section of the of the country, in many ways, would insulate most people from their internal moral compass. And it certainly has with Herman and with the leader. Uh, there's a there's this leader of this youth military group that was scumbag dude. Yeah, I mean, and talk about uh, mustache twirly evil. He's 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 ne- he nears that level like i think if you were to write scenes with these people as fictional characters and submitted your script for notes the first thing that would come back is like yeah he's he's not human enough like that, on all these people and they exist and i think that's why we have to spend so much time there because we the movie has to let you know like th- no there's there's no silver lining to these people anwar is it like and and all throughout the film it's not just anwar talking to camera it's the all the verite scenes where you see him talking to some of his contemporaries that he hasn't seen in quite some time saying like yeah i can't really sleep it's like why don't you go to a psychologist like i do and now i sleep fine and 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 he's like just you know they'll give you vitamins for your nerves and uh and he's and her and for whatever reason anwar is not and all those things is what makes the last 20 minutes which just as far as like a pure cinematic moment that is the most harrowing thing i've seen in the last, totally agree. Ever, um, totally agree with that. You know, I mean that, and and talk and and talk about. I don't. That's why I say this film kind of elevates the, or or escapes the genre because I don't know how another film like this is ever going to exist. You're never going to see a man who was quote that patently evil unquote actually who has spent the last sixty years, uh, seventy probably years feeling fine. Suddenly, go! Oh my God! Hasn't I get it spent now. that time feeling fine. There's well, not, several well, not, moments not, not, not through the fine, movie, yeah. not fine, where... but not getting it, not fully absorbing what it was. Just being like tortured for it, but like trying to put it away and try to like, accepting it down. the lie, Accept, Accept, accepting accepting that. accepting that on camera. Yeah, it's like like I said, it's like that fucking three times the size of the Grand Canyon that they just found in Greenland. Like, oh, well, now we're never going to find anything like that ever again. Like that's never going to happen on camera again, and it's really, really strong. But uh, yeah. It's, yeah, a, it's, it's, a, it's a film that requires an immense amount of patience and cognitive energy from, to get through. From a yeah, to to to, pro- to process and come out the other end feeling from a from yeah. feeling, feeling yeah <laughs> from a feeling from like in perspective. It's like I don't think this film would have worked at all shot in any other way it's primarily a verite footage all the interviews tend to be on the fly as opposed to a sit-down interview with a backdrop and lighting where you discuss back events and say oh during this time i felt this and during this time i felt that everything all the interviews are lived in uh they all the interviews occur as the scene is happening whether they're out drinking and then they go dancing or whether he's walking through the neighborhood or whether they're literally by the way and i think this is worth noting noticing I can't think of another film, document or otherwise, that captures an actual shakedown on camera. You see these guys walking through an ethnically Chinese neighborhood, shaking them down for money. It's like, our organization needs to throw a party. We need money. We need you to help out more than usual. And you're, I mean, it, it's and, they're, and it's such a, an Ouroboros because... The blatant, these, uncritical subjugation on camera. And not just that. It's like these guys drew such inspiration from gangster movies, uh, uh, Western gangster movies, 
that they're clearly employing those tactics. And so now that is a reality. They're and just this short of saying enthusiasms. Exactly. And it's like, and it, it um, there's a, a whole meta conversation to be had about the influence of Western government on the small you know, smaller countries around the world and not just from our government helping to finance some of this stuff, but also from our media and our culture, you know, there's a whole discussion. I don't believe, I believe these guys have been evil no matter what, but like, you know, for that being the form with which it represents itself, uh, inspired from our fiction, it's, there's a whole discussion to be had about that. I mean, we could spend two hours just talking about this film. Certainly this could be a sci-fi novel. Exactly. And And that's why I said it's like we landed on an alien planet because the experience I had watching it was, how do we, you know, it's, I, I don't feel like I'm watching humans. I don't feel like I'm watching Earth right now. Right. And, yeah. Okay. Yes. And because of that, I, I totally got Paul's initial frustration. And yes, in, in a standard, you know, Joseph Campbell hero's journey, yes, this would have been the act two break where Anwar feels repented. And then we have a whole other movie where he works to do something bigger. No, no, no. That's, that's not, no, the, not that's it? not okay. the shape of, I, I, what I was saying was that like, I'm not saying any kind of like traditional repent, re- like repentance happening right. on screen. Like I it could have. I mentioned Ark, and I think I threw the conversation in the wrong direction. the The second half of it could have just been him. The aftermath dealing. No, yeah. just like it's not even not just him dealing, but like it. The entire country has a form of like post traumatic stress disorder. Yeah, yeah, and it's just a. Is the movie just too close to it? It's kind of like the uncanny valley. You're not of seeing like, much on either side of their no, story. I, I also don't feel it's fair to say like you're on another planet or just because you know, no. it's very much. It's they are people as much as, as, as much as we are, and 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 are, and you put us in their environment, in their situation. Yeah, who knows how we that, perform? That is the that that is their reality. That's yeah. the world in which they. I, I guess I, I guess it's just it's it's funny. No, I, to I know see, what you're talking about. I guess it's funny to see how humanity and human morality takes shape in a land like that. It's it's kind of like like I was saying, it's like Uncanny Valley, but instead of you know a, a physical features, it's about morality. It's like they're just off. You know what I mean? They're they're just it's not quite. And, and we have the benefit of living in a Western society, which obviously we don't have to face what they have faced on a day to day basis, and as recent as what they did, and. God only knows how we would have turned out because of that. That's like a couple hundred years ago killed like millions and millions and millions of Native Americans just of so course, you can uh, get across to this part. They make course. that point in the movie. They're driving around and Josh was like, they're just like, ah, you know, the Americans killed all the Native Americans and they're fine. Right. It's the same. It, it, it's absolutely idea. true. It's just, I, it, I think the big difference is, is media and how like the media explores and celebrates it. And the fact is, is like Vietnam onward, uh, everything is just documented, you know what I mean? And, and film and video and we have records of it and therefore it's more permanent in a lot of ways. You know, we ha- we make myths of the American Revolution and of the Civil War and of all this stuff. I mean, we because there's very, there's, I mean, all of it is text, all of it is just oral and written histories. Whereas, you know, from 1940 onward, we have like these immense physical records of all these things happening. And I, I think I think the documentary works largely because it's able to. It's, it's documenting the deterioration of its own self mythology. Exactly. Is, exactly. I'm finally understanding that. Right and now. Th- and that's a great way to 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 kind of sum that up and transition. We there, ha- there was one last point, if it's okay. One oh, last point about that that Paul made yesterday, but I'm going to set you up for it again because it was awesome. One of the things I said was there are so many crazy complex layers to this. Like 
this makes you just sit down and think about people for like two weeks. Um, but one of the things that I thought was really interesting is I don't know if Herman uh, killed anyone. I think he did. Yeah, he did. Uh, but he wasn't. He, was, he wasn't like one of those guys. He was like I think he came in like he was a Johnny completely at the end of it, and he only got to kill like two hundred people. You he know? was like a he was like a young lieutenant. Yeah, a lot of that stuff. And he's still in a very now, now he leads role. the now he leads like an entire faction of the paramilitary. Yeah, but yeah. at the time he was just a guy there, and he's friends with Anwar now. He's the big fat guy. He's the guy that Eddie was talking about earlier as being this like odd, makes you feel bad, but good comic relief character. Like this guy. He's lar- everyone in this movie is larger than life in different directions, uh, and one of the things I was telling Paul is in all these little reenactments, these are all guys like these you know murderers, not great people. Just these are all just humans. They're not actors. They're humans, and they are you know with basically what you'd expect by chance, human spectrum talent for acting. Most of them aren't very good at it, but Erman is really great. <laughs> like Erman is a really great actor, and I was telling Paul that like it really makes me feel weird, and he was like, yeah, but they're they're. Do you remember what you were talking about? How the psychology of how you can be a good actor—the the, the sort of two like ways you can go, like either the adult or the child way of basically setting aside self-consciousness. Yeah, it, if if you're somebody that spent your entire life just kind of just being in charge, like you just you kill hundreds of people, like just as a part of never punished your life, never punished. You are your your varsity. High school football captain, captain, like you have, there's no recourse at all. But even that kid has to deal with like their parents that might be pushing them too hard or something. It's nothing. Yeah, there is no restrictions. There's no check. On, there's no check on you at all. Yeah. You can, you can have that sort of. There is no need for self examination There is no need for yeah for self examination for self consciousness for remorse for reflection. fear for reflection yeah. for repentance. Um, for well, why? But then, but repentance is is too far because it's like you don't get to repentance unless you have reflection on all right. these other things. Yeah, Paul's yeah. talking about that's like that's like five steps down the road. It's self examination and introspection as opposed to self myth making. So I was talking about how I was like, God, he was really like he's good on screen. Like he he played a good thug. He played a good large concubine. I don't know. He you know he played was, a lot of concubines. He, he, yeah, he, a lot of fat he, women. He's yeah. got to talk to some people about that. Yeah. Anyway, but the thing that Paul said was, yeah, but that's the acting of a child. Yeah, that is the acting of someone. Who it's not. Has never it's not built. somebody that has like kind of explored the art and come out the other end with like the built a framework of self the presentation. Frame, yeah, the the framework of self and develop the tools that you have as as a. I don't want to say classically trained, but as like Meryl Streep has to turn off all of the self aware stuff and just be the character. He doesn't have anything to turn off. It's already like turned off. It's there's nothing there between him and being able to just play like that one of the most telling scenes in the movie for me was there's a whole subplot where herman runs for essentially like a lower house or a lower congress level (coughs) form of government and he's convinced to win uh because he sort of has dominion over this one neighborhood but there's bill burr would say he's been in the zone for 20 years he's got like two other uh, uh people he's running against and there's a scene where he goes in to sort of press the flesh and hand out flyers and say hey vote for me vote for me and the people, the peasants right there are saying like, okay, how much did you bring? It's like, we'll bring after we get elected. It's like, <laughs> it's like you come here without bringing anything? Are you kidding me? And they just ignore him. And it's like- And they cut to an interview they say, literally all of the politics are bought. Everyone at the rally is bought. Right. Like, it's all bought and paid for. It, and, it's, and, that's, and so it's like, that's why, I mean, that's why I feel like that whole subplot essentially is necessary because 
it's like we're not just examining a small section. We're we're seeing like a a, a, a small representation, but a representation of all levels of, of a broken system of a broken system. Like from from yeah, the, I'm with you. We, I get we it. see the, and just like we see the commander of the um, I forget the name of the group, the the Puskar uh, Youth or something like con- that. It's something Concilio. Yeah, Pon Concilio or something like Pon that. Concilio Youth, and it's like and and they're they're a paramilitary sort of group of of kids, and and they're. Their group essentially was responsible for a large part of the killing, and a guy who was in the Punkinsilla Youth leads it now, and you spend a lot of time with him, and just the abject immorality of that guy at these black tie functions and these you know, these big events and you see him being a gentleman and then he'll make a comment like, uh, you really need to get that mole on your pussy checked out. Like, I mean, just to, to his caddy. Like, I mean, just like these, just you see what, uh, how, how inverted the the moral center of every level of this society works and that's why to me all of that is necessary to create this microcosm building up to this one moment that we we have with Anmar so um do see active killing yeah. i'm the guy who liked it the least at the table i'm probably not going to watch it again so i won't have a chance to like it more but do see it because jesus christ the act of killing yeah uh from that we'll go to it is that large grand canyon under greenland <laughs> from that we'll go to the most recent of the three films and that is um uh that blackfish blackfish direct, uh, 2003 directed by gabriella possible 13 2013 directed yeah it's still in theaters happen. in la for like another week and then there'll be uh like a netflix movie here in a few months if I'm you're sure. across the pond it's already out on dvd um see blackfish see blackfish it is certainly i think the most efficient uh storytelling of the three in terms of uh it, it's got uh, a very focused story, uh, pretty easy to break down. It is it examines uh, on a larger issue the issue of uh, whales in captivity and orcas, how, orcas in captivity, killer whales in captivity, and how that uh, is just not a good idea. Uh, this is a movie that it, it it doesn't take a non-objective stance. It is in many ways a polemic, albeit a very well researched, a very it's way less activisty than I thought it would be. Though it's yeah, not, it's not the cove. Well, and 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 the reason why and the reason why it's separate and because as you know my my stance. I'm not big on polemics as documentary. This one works because uh, define your terms because it's the first, well, second episode. Second episode to, as a refresher. I'm I'm not big into documentaries that have a point of view from the get go and then spend 90 minutes convincing you why you need to agree with them. Um, and and rhetorical documentaries. Yeah, rhetorical but documentaries. Th- but in this case, it's polemacy by default because there's absolutely no pro side. Except they, there's money. one dude. There's one dude who has five bites, and they clarify at the very end. We tried to contact Sea World to comment repeatedly. They declined every single time. So they they tried. Uh, and the reason why this works is because it keeps it very much at the human level. It explores the idea of. Um, most of these trainers. Well, most if of, it yeah. was a polemic, then there would be another side that is not explored, where it's a positive outcome. Or, or, there's, it's it's not a two sided issue. No, that's it's the problem. It's, that's, I, that's not the a, not problem. That is the reality. That the reality the reality is is that there is absolutely very little benefit to orcas in captivity, and the downside is murder. Uh, and, and not just murder, but the downside is is death. psychotic depressed whales. And we talk about trauma, and we talk about and and the thing that works most for us is uh, for me for this film is the idea that. It explored that these orcas are traumatized by by the simple act of putting them in a jar. Um, the same, very similar to the ways a human would. It's, exactly. Uh, it, it's, it's not good for you, and it has very bad results. It specifically focuses in on this one orca named Tilikum and sort of his life's journey, uh, and that culminates in the 2010 incident in which he... Killed a trainer. Brutally murdered a trainer. Uh, brutally killed a trainer, and not just and it killed, but like mutilated. Tore this apart. Girl. And it yeah. turns out that was the third person that whale had killed. And so it examines the system that supports them. Uh, very harrowing. Very very hard to watch for very different reasons. Um, 
you know, and, ta- and very much both the other films are trauma being inflicted on somebody else. Um, this is us inflicting trauma this, this on is, a creature who has more capacity for emotion than humans do. As they scientifically establish. They, they, they have a neurologist come on. So go t- ahead, Tegan. What did you think They have a it? neurologist come on and they take out a whale brain, an orca brain. And it's it's not much larger than a human's. It's like four or five times larger, but we're not talking about like it's the size of a truck. It's, you know, about the size of a basketball or so. It's a, it's a big brain and it looks a lot like a human's brain. And she does an MRI on it. And she compares this to a, like a, another a, a human's brain, right? And she's, you know, adjust for scale proportions and all that stuff and then she's like okay now all this they're they're smart and crafty they're probably the most clever animal just in general but look at this this is the part of your brain that can handle and deal with emotions and social behavior it is seven times larger or something than humans this animal is literally better at emotions and social behavior than you are it is literally better at emotions than you are and not just better but dependent yeah and dependent it's a lot it's most of its brain if you took a lot of the stuff in the human brain that evolved for like reason and tool making and like yeah. higher capacity for thoughts and just poured all, all that energy that back into the emotions back into yeah just emotional response and social activity and and, and and moods and feelings and egos and and presentation and behavior and communication and all of it like really all this shit and this movie is talking about a lot of things but it, it does it in a very it's concise while doing a very broad scope thing on this while also being very particular in certain points. And it comes across as fair. I don't know if it is, but we'll get to that in a second because I have a thing about that. In any case, they take these little baby whales, you know, they, they catch the ones they can and they bring them into captivity. And this particular one who would later be named Tillicum, um, they have an interview with one of the guys, one of these salty old dudes who was on the, the mission, I guess, to <laughs> extract him from his family. You know, they, they big, put a big net around the entire pod of whales. And they got helicopters and, and he's, chase And boats. he's a former and Green bring, Beret and Vietnam vet, keep in mind. Yeah, and my, yeah, I'll get there. And they bring in the net closer and closer until they can finally get the, you know, the smallest one, the kid, which is only like you know 10 feet long. Which is only taken on the, just because they're the only ones that can get into the boat. Yeah, exactly. And, and there's like 25 whales that are in this net. And they get the little one, they get it out of the water, they get it under the under the boat, and they let go of the nets. And all of the whales stay there right by the boat, screaming at the boat for hours. And the the whale is screaming at them. Like it's it's haunting. It's like it's it's I don't know if it's the editing or if it's just the way it really is, guys, but it's exactly like watching someone walk up and take a baby away from a woman and just push her away. Which and is what they stand on the other side of a piece of glass. It's just that. Baby. It's it's horrifying. And the guy is talking about this big old salty, like central casting sea captain guy, beard. He looks like George R. R. Martin with tattoos on him. Uh, and he's talking about like I was in like the South American coup, like I was this. This is the worst thing I've ever done. And he's like crying, talking about it. It was horrible to do this. And this whale goes and already separation and all that stuff, and goes and lives in this piece of shit non Sea World Sea World thing up in Seattle or Vancouver somewhere up there. And it's part of this little whale show where it's in a pool that's smaller than SeaWorld and just hanging out in there with like four other orcas that all hate them. Spending all night in a dark corrugated metal In a dark corrugated box. metal box with no light. And bear in mind, social animals. Like, this is not all of the dogs get along because they're all dogs. This is, that, that's a, that's a Mexican whale dealing with a bunch of Norwegian whales. They don't know each other and they don't care to like each other. And this one's bigger, so they want to punch them more and it's a matriarchal society so if you're a dude you've got another so there's this yeah. they're just beating very, up on very this young whale. small male whale and the two. sad scared alone whale being beaten up by three huge ladies coming out every morning every show whatever just covered in like, marks, and and marks. eventually some kid was helping at the sea world place and ended up in the water and died 
And there were conflicting evidence about that, but there are two eyewitness reports that are like, no, absolutely this. And here's how you can tell. Because he, of the four in that pod, or four in that little container, he was the only one that had a, a, a flipped over fin. Now, at the time they say that, you think, oh, that's like a distinguishing feature of that whale. Mm-hmm. No, here's the deal. This is a crazy thing. Female orcas in captivity, their dorsal fin sticks up. In the wild, all orcas' fins stick up all the time. 1% of the time, they'll have a dorsal collapse where it just flips over. He said it was less than 1%. Yeah, yeah, less than one. Like, it doesn't happen. It's not a thing. All orcas in the wild have an upper dorsal fin that sticks up all the time. There are no male orcas in captivity anywhere in the world that have an or, uh, uh, their dorsal fin up. They're all flipped over. 100% dorsal fin. 100%, 100% of collapse. Them. Anyway, so... And they, it's and it's noticed, and it's they make a big point, and they have footage of this happening, where when they're on, uh, on tours at SeaWorld, they... They train the people giving the tours to say, oh, that's perfectly normal, you know, like all the 25%, time. 25%. Yeah. 25%. They have a lifespan of like 25 years. Nope, in the wild, like 75 years. Yeah. Anyway, they, whatever. Yeah, they have, they're supposed to have But this is all happening. They move Tillicum over to SeaWorld where they try to train him up and all that shit. And because he's this big, you know, virile male orca that they don't have many of those in captivity, they're using him to breed out to make more orcas about, yeah. for other SeaWorlds and other it's extremely, marine extremely parks valuable. The only upside is more money for SeaWorld. That is the only thing about that's the only reason that's the only aspect that's there's yeah nothing to be learned nothing to be gained nothing to whales don't do flips in the wild benefit nope. from it's it's kind of slavery what purely the, anyway at the end of the day I'll, I'll skip all the interesting factoids you need to see this movie um at the end of the day i it's weird to say I loved this movie for the same reason it's been weird to say all that. I was going to say, him. you seem very much more animated about this one than the others. I really loved this movie. I thought this was just an excellently put together, holy shit, like it, 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 it comes across as fair, which I guess is the sort of thing like, you know, the greatest trick the, the devil ever pulled thing. But, but that's because but, there is no but, other yeah, side. But this is my last thing on it and I, was, I told Eddie I was going to do this in a second. SeaWorld repeatedly didn't comment and they keep mentioning that like they said we called SeaWorld again after we got this interview and they were, they didn't comment like there's like four of those title cards throughout the whole movie after it came out SeaWorld commented SeaWorld was like okay point one this point two that point three this and there was like a whole fucking memo they put out and then the director of the film on the website it's there go to blackfishmovie.com or whatever it is is the rebuttal they just have their scientists go yeah no here 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 citation citation paper paper paper, paper. point two yeah no like it's it's you, you have to stand in the face of like, oh my God, this is happening. Like they're telling the people at SeaWorld to lie about orcas, they're, the whole thing. And the trainers are all like brokenhearted about it. They're like, I dealt with that animal. I could tell that I was dealing with something that was maybe not the same kind of smart as me, but as smart as me. Like right. I'm looking into this animal's eyes and I'm seeing expressions and shit. And at, at first that sounds like they're reading into it like your puppy or something. But toward, once you learn more about these animals and how, like, I think 75% of all male orcas in captivity anywhere are Tillicum's kids. It's like, Jesus Christ, this is so fucked. Anyway, yeah. Blackfish blew me away. Paul, how about you? What was your walk, your takeaway from um, from Blackfish once you saw it? Um, how much work we have to do to kind of underst- get people to understand that there are different kinds of intelligence like well people hate each other people hate yeah people that they don't know and have their own kind of uh, kill them by the millions yeah and, well everybody has their own prejudices and lacks of understanding and it's an even bigger jump to be able to say no well, like these species which you have limited abilities to communicate with mm-hmm. at all also have their entire own emotional lives and 
personalities and well right exactly like they're entitled to having their experience as much as you are yours you're all still the same mess of carbon carbon and water for about 100 years like it it, it it stood out to me. I mean, watching the when I, was, I saw it at the I think the same theater you guys saw it at the at the Lemley NoHo. Yep. And uh, when I saw it, it was a pretty packed theater for a midday um, matinee during the week. Uh, and there was a woman behind me who was just seething the entire time. And I, it was one of those few instances where I didn't mind talking in the theater because all of her talk was just like that motherfucker like the entire time. And I. I was with her on that. Um, you know, if, if ultimately a film is to elicit an emotional response for you, this film, I think all these films do their own, do, do, um, do a great job of that act of killing. When we finished that film, I remember Paul, when that movie, there's so much more to unpack in that of absolutely. Absolutely. I think act of killing, when we finish it, the audience just sort of, everybody was just like, Oh, like there, there was a pin drop and people stood up the quietest I think I've ever heard them. And then you walk outside normally after a movie theater, there's, you know, a oh, lot of discussion. Everyone was just outside just kind of going, it's like a funeral. Yeah. Um, but in terms of animating my emotions and not sort of like devastating me, like dear Zachary and active killing did, I felt blackfish like it angered me and it got me like, it got all of my feels going, bro. Uh, and I think that I think I think the movie does a very good job with that. It, from a production value, Paul, how did you like the look, like the feel, like the pacing of it? It was pretty. It was great. Yeah, it does everything that it needs to. Yeah, it it's remarkably well crafted. It talks to everybody. Everything's put to everybody that it can. I was interested to see the beginning where it was like every single person's Chiron all said former SeaWorld trainer former <laughs> right. SeaWorld trainer there was a memorandum put out in SeaWorld while the film was going on because they knew about it because she kept yeah. calling to ask for yo can we get an interview no employee of SeaWorld was allowed to talk to her like it was a thing if you did yeah. then you would become a former SeaWorld trainer yeah. <laughs> exactly and well I think but I thought it was interesting is there was a, they had probably six or seven main characters and, that they mm-hmm. came coming back to but there was one guy who wasn't there yet like the, the movie I think the, I think some audience members will give him an unfair rep and think that he's a piece of shit uh, because he's a former trainer who's like, yeah, they're hyping this up a little bit. And people will be likely to go, that guy's a fucking asshole. I think he just doesn't get it yet um, or is less inclined to believe it. Or I don't know, maybe he's a sociopath, but whatever. But there was one guy, one of the former trainers was like, yeah, these guys that are that touchy feel about the whales, they don't really know. But everyone else was like, oh my God, oh my God, this is solitary confinement for animals that are better at being hurt by that than we are. Yeah, and, and that was consistent up and down from every single scientist that they talked to to every serial trainer, which they made the point in it that you didn't need a, a, a doc, you didn't need to be a doctorate of marine biology to be like these trainers. You just kind of had to be able to smile and wave and throw fish into their mouths. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, you know, when you look at a, the fe- the physical features of an orca, it's got a mouth. Its eyes are largely obscured by its natural sort of marks. In terms of animals that convey emotion, and you know, they, they've done studies on you know, pigs actually have features that are very similar to humans. Uh, so when you look at a pig's face, you can it, see uh, the expression registers with you. The expre- yeah, exactly. I think that's probably the reason why upstream color works uh, because you see these, you see pigs, and you're like, oh hey, and then you see you know, you see primates, you see gorillas and orangutans and monkeys, and obviously we share a ton of DNA with them, so you know, you can sympathize with them. Dogs, obviously. Cats, yes. Whales, from a physical standpoint, seem like some of the harder animals to interface emotionally with. But everybody who's ever swam with a whale or or or, or like or been up close to one 
seems to have this very deep connection with. And I, I wonder, for me at least, I've never. I mean, I've done. I've done whale watching uh, a little bit, but I've. Uh, I've never been up close to one. I've never. I've, I've never visited the Orca Tank Wells at SeaWorld. So for me, it's like I. What the film I think did very well was allow me to really connect to these whales as creatures and it stayed when you talk about getting up to the line of exploitative yeah i felt like this film it was relying on the majesty and the grace and all that not just majesty and the grace but like there's a couple moments where you know they talk about raking a lot which is uh basically how whales beat the shit out of each other yeah it's it's it's, a whale punch it's teeth raking it's not a bite it's just raking the teeth along the swim really fast up to an animal open up your mouth and just kind of right and you yourself gash like, and you start bleeding and let tear, it fly or, or your teeth over it's him. that or it's like a full-on ram which ends up killing which can, like yeah, crack ribs and um, organ damage and all that but for there's one moment where you know there's i, I, lear- I learned tor- a 20 ton torpedo hits you in the ribs you learn uh you learn a ton of you know uh, of sea world tricks there's there's one thing where it's like an elevated pool where the whale can swim up and be like 90% above water but still kind of in the water it's like a little beach tank beach yeah it's like a step and repeat like they just kind of go up in there and they go hey everybody wave yay um, there was one moment where Tilikum had been raked goes up there and he's just, he's just bleeding, bleeding on the side and all the trainers are like oh the, shit the entire, be- the entire little beach chunk of the pool is red in like five seconds yeah and it's like to me it was to me the film was not exploitative in terms of like human violence uh, The you see tons of footage of the trainer who, who ends up getting killed and you see a little bit of, of a couple of attacks, uh, but it does a very good job of staying just on this side. I wonder if there is any way to show less sort of whale on whale violence while still delivering the same emotional. Do you feel punch. like they were trying to excuse Tilikum too much? No, well, yes, I mean, but like, but, but bear in mind, not- uh, bear in mind, lady got fucking eaten another guy didn't die but got dragged to the bottom of the like 60 foot tank barely repeatedly survived. yeah which barely is survived. anyone who's done diving will tell you that's a great way to die just on the face of it go to the bottom of a 60 foot depth of water and then back up repeatedly a but bunch in the fast. same in the same vein of where anwar and his cohorts are a result of their environment in active killing yeah telecom is also very 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 much a result of his he, treatment yeah he was lifetime. beaten as a kid and didn't ever get stopped no beaten. he was put into captivity as a child and like it's the like yeah, given yeah. their size it's the same thing of like if his living room was the only place i could ever go to yeah part of the reason why i wanted to kind of include blackfish and active killing in the same episode is because i found after seeing both i found extraordinary parallels because through looking at anwar and looking at the society from which you find you you see trauma not just the effect that trauma has on those that it's inflicted but those who inflict it i mean they're you, you're not the same you know, and I think the same is true for Tilikum and for these trainers, because when you look at the trainers, all these former SeaWorld trainers that are now strong anti-captivity um, advocates, you see how much it destroys them knowing that they had a part of this, that they were part of this yeah, machine. Kind of complicit. And, and kind of complicit. And it just breaks their heart. I mean, the last scene of... The last scene of Blackfish. It's not a oh, spoiler. Oh, I was crying. Yeah, they go. I didn't wh- see it coming. I was like, "Oh my god, that's genius!" It's extraordinarily simple. You know, they 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 give a shout out to the fact that there's a society, uh, there's a nonprofit uh, for the woman who was killed, and that's fine. But then the five former Sea World trainers, and you get about three verite scenes with them total. You get a scene in the beginning with them watching old footage of themselves, kind of reminiscing. Uh, you oh, get, I was so skinny then. You get yeah, you get one in the middle, and then you get this scene at the end, and they go whale watching. And it's so on, simple. They just go on a boat. It's quiet. And they just see orcas in their natural habitat. And you see all these upright dorsal fins. Oh, uh, I got just, goosebumps just now. Yeah, and just like, and you you see these guys just break down. And it's like, it's extraordinarily simple, but it, ca- it carries such a punch. And, and Teague Oof. is experiencing all the feels here. Um, and for me, that like, it was, 
I don't think you can compare any film ever to the ending of, of Active Killing. However, I do think that for a film that had the potential to be uh, such a standard uh, Netflix first run documentary of this is a horrible issue that we're having. There are so many goddamn food documentaries out now where they're all just indistinguishable and it's all bad about how and and the th- and yes regardless of where you follow politically you can find yourself agreeing with a good ton of it vegetated and forks over knives and fat sick and nearly dead but in terms of a film that told a story and actually accomplished the intellect carrying the the emotional heft i felt blackfish stuck the landing hard hard uh and it could and talk about your, your thing about the knot issue like this could have gotten tangled in so many ways and, it, and at no point it ever does and and so i'm not usually finding myself recommending a ton of documentaries like this as a cinematic experience but uh, I, I wouldn't recommend The Cove. I think everyone should see it, but I wouldn't tell them to watch it. Yeah, uh, The Cove is it's a different. It's, it's a different movie. You might look at both of these movies. I mean, you might look at both of these movies and think they're kind of the same movie. Totally different. All. A style, approach, everything. Why do you think? Why do you think that is, Paul? Why do you think like a, a film like? I mean, compare this to other sort of advocacy, animal advocacy f- documentaries like this. What is it about Blackfish that works for you that may not work in other films like that? Because it's right. Yeah, there there is no other side that it's that that's the problem. That's why it feels sort of polemic. Yeah, but there's just there is no like I could see both, I could see both sides of like a, a documentary where it's like it's trying to shit on the use there's, of live animals. Or there's I can see no the pros reasonable the dissenting opinion. Yeah, yeah. With with At, putting a, given our yeah. current like where we are as a as a as a species. Yeah, <laughs> giving there's. There's no justification for it whatsoever. So I mean, and then it's also extremely well crafted, and everybody's cares deeply, and everybody is on the same. Every single, every single person wanted this to be that movie. This this movie to be this movie. Every person involved in it, and every person that they talked to, every everyone was yeah it on al- the same page, pointing the same way. For me, maybe not as much for you, Eddie. Maybe this is part of it. It also inherits a lot of benefit of the non-polemic doubt. How often she keeps saying, I swear to God, we kept calling SeaWorld and trying to get them to talk about it. Right. And, and even when they talk to scientists, they're just like, We kept well, trying to get SeaWorld to give us their side, and they kept saying, Nope, 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 nope. Yeah. It's like, This is not my opinion. This is science. Right. <laughs> here's, here's all the science that backs up uh, their, um, their, yeah, the, the way that their brains work and the way that their social structures work. I think there should have been a little bit more of the, the guy. I forgot his name. The guy um, scientist by the window? No, the the guy scientist that would be out on his boat all the time. Yeah, the yeah, guy yeah. that was always just like, yeah, I I hang out with these animals like, daily, daily in the wild, and it hurts to think about any of them being constrained. This to is the my side. favorite factoid from the whole thing. Well, it was one of my favorite factoids. Never, ever, ever one recorded orca killing a human story. Yeah, ever in the ever. wild. Yeah, ever, ever, and that and in that's the last the fifty years, four. I think I think a lot of times in captivity. I think a lot of times people I think people are savvy enough to understand that statistics can be bent, manipulated, presented in such a way to where maybe it's not the entire truth. It's like, well, only twenty five percent of something does this. But I think it's one thing to say that. I think it's another thing. It's like there has never been a recorded incident ever, ever anywhere in the history of. We're not fudging, so we're not fudging the numbers. Yeah. There are no numbers. It's like it's not like oh, and by zero, I actually mean four hundred thirty two. No zero, I mean zero. You know, people understand that in terms of absolutes. I think, I think there's also there are stories of whales saving people. I, I'm, I'm, yeah, exactly. But not I, them killing. People. Yeah, actually, another documentary, The Bridge. Uh, a gentleman jumps off the Golden Gate Bridge, 
shatters his tailbone, yeah, yeah. is on his way to sinking, and what happens but a dolphin pushes him to the surface. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and there's, I mean, I think there's, I think there's, I, I'm all for imperialism, or uh, empiricism, imperialism. And I, not imperialism, I'm all for like, dun, empiri- dun, empirical, dun, I'm, dun. shut up, I'm all for empirical science, I'm all for peer-reviewed study, I'm all for double-blind research. However, I think there's a universal truth. If you spill oil in the Gulf and then a scientist dives in, saves a duck, scrubs them off, and then feeds them and gives them vitamins, we all recognize that as a universal good thing. We recognize that as like that science, good. We are doing a good thing there. We we fucked up and we're making it right so that we can ultimately release it. I don't think you need science to say, uh, for, to you don't, you don't need a bunch of peer-reviewed studies to know that that is a good thing. I also equally think you don't need any number of statistics SeaWorld can provide to convince us otherwise that throwing a whale in a tank is bad. A whale usually has, what was it, like the territory is like a 2,000 square mile territory? Something like yeah. that. Yeah. And to just put, I don't okay, care how it, big of a tank you put it. Put it in a pool the size of your house. There's, I there's mean, some fantastic archival footage of like a, a herd of whales working together to like just, just, um, there, for those sea lions or? I don't remember. Oh, the, uh, oh the, that was horrifying. That was, not, that was beautiful. Yeah, I know. But you're watching. It's a it's a sea lion or an otter or one of those things. On an as, ice as, as Louis as Louis C.K. said, if we all just called them seals, everyone just kind of go okay. But one of those animals is on a little ice floe that's broken apart, and it's a whole pot of whales trying to get lunch. And it's this it's it's horrifying because you imagine yourself being the seal, but what you're watching is a bunch of whales just trying to get at it and knock it over and all that. It's a it's a startling piece of footage to have ever been captured. It's really cool. But it's not the kind of space or the kind of actions or the kind of work that you would see. And he, like they, that's that's an example of the kind of that is that is regular Team, activity for them. Yeah. That is that is what they do. That's how they operate. Mm-hmm. And then you just end up with yeah. This is all starting to exhaust me. It's it's. I mean, yeah. The, uh, <laughs> talk about an episode to you know cram three into. We're not we're not going easy on us or on you folks. I want to say in chat, Snell brought up the fact that Blackfish is going to be airing on CNN in October in the United I th- States. I I'm think assuming. that's I think that's great. That's also another um, October twenty fourth. This is you know this is partially, partially a discussion for another time, but I think it's interesting how a lot of documentaries are getting sort of. Uh, documentary viewership is just up in general. The last few years, uh, the Guardian just had a big piece on this recently. Um, you know, uh, I know Dear Zachary aired on A and E. It got its finishing funds and its first uh, airing through that. And then I think, and as you said, Active Killing is being uh, shown for free in all of Indonesia. Uh, uh, is it streaming or in theaters? I think it's streaming. It's streaming, right? yeah, streaming. They have a deal with someone. Yeah, they have the feeling. So I think it's. I think it's Indo Netflix. And and you know we all saw Blackfish in theaters here, and and Blackfish is coming out is going to get a home video release. I think it's interesting how you know, especially now that there's a lot of different avenues for documentaries to be seen, and that's part of the reason I think for the increase in popularity of documentaries, which is part of the reason why we're doing this because I feel like we need to make that line in the sand of pure polemic versus actual films. And I think all three of these certainly pass what I call the lectern test, which is would this film work just as well as a PowerPoint. Uh, a PowerPoint or a TED Talk. And in my opinion, none of these would work as a PowerPoint or TED Talk to the same, yeah. uh, you know, and all these have uh, an element of bringing about actual or attempting to bring about actual policy or social or legal change. Dear Zachary, change the law in Canada when it comes to extradition of criminals. Um, you know, active killing, <laughs> the chapter on that is not yet written, but hopefully we'll see something. And, I don't know. And, and, and Blackfish very pointedly never says fuck SeaWorld, but everyone walks out of that thing going fuck SeaWorld. Well, not just that. I mean, that did, I mean, not because of the film, but that you know, t- now if you go to SeaWorld, you will not see a trainer in the water. 
with that another, too, yeah. you know, there there was an OSHA lawsuit that that chronicles that. Remember that seeing all that, that? Remember maybe even seeing, if not seeing, footage of like orcas like pushing people out of the water and they do a flip two. That doesn't happen anymore, right? And, and there's they want it to a, happen again, but you know, there's a difference between social change and an policy OSHA, and an OSHA lawsuit. And I guess that's a part of the other discussion is that like when it comes to films like Actor Killing and Blackfish, is like what you really hope. You know, the the law can change all at once, but ultimately people are going to how far people move the needle and how far people change internally. That's the first thing that needs to change. Exactly. You're not going to change laws until the minds of the people are be the change you want to see in the world. And I think I think that's and I think that's why why Blackfish succeeds in so many ways, because I prior to seeing Blackfish, I was literally in the process of planning a family trip to SeaWorld, you know, with, with my wife and my child. <laughs> and you guys, you you animal Teague, you, you went to, uh, we to SeaWorld last, SeaWorld year. last year, and you're like, oh, we went to SeaWorld and it was great. Yeah, well, suck on that. How do you feel now? Like, it, yeah. <laughs> I know, but that's, yeah. but that's the thing. It's yeah. like, we, you know, all three of these films sort of succeed in, in that way. Um, I can't go to the LA Zoo without crying. I, right? I know. It's just like, I know. But I mean, I again, you know, if you take a tiny little clownfish and put him in a, an orca tank, uh, maybe, you know, but like that's, but even so it's like, it, it, it certainly has made me re rethink my position on a lot of not just whales in captivity, but just animal treatment in general. And I think the, I think blackfish is, that's as much as you can sort of hope for, uh, with, I, and I think with Dear Zachary, nothing is ever going to undo that trauma that those people experience. They did. I want to say, um, Kurt Kuhn, Posted a 16 minute follow up to Dear Zachary. Oh, which I, is, I didn't see this. Which is available online. I recommend it. It basically just literally charts the uh, the policy change. Um, Zachary's that, law is that what it's called? It's not. I don't. I think they're unofficially calling it Zachary's law. Okay. Um, but they actually show like the C-SPAN footage or not C-SPAN because it's it's Nova Scotia. But they show you know their their Parliament footage of them discussing that issue. It also checks in with the parents and uh, it also sort of charts what the film did a little bit there's like a couple minutes of that it's it's a quick 16 minutes it's definitely worth seeing uh kirk Hune is making more films now um oppenheimer his film was produced and not only endorsed by but not only produced but endorsed by herzog uh, Errol Errol Morrison, Morris. herzog herzog's exact phrasing i think was it's not just the best documentary uh of the year it's one of the best documentaries ever and one of the best things i've ever seen so um you know, I mean, Herzog is nothing if not, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, full of admiration for this film. Um, where where do we sort of stand after having seen these three films, guys? Like, where do you like where which one burdened? Had, we stand burdened. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, are we better for the burden of having sort of lived through these three? Despite all my films? rage, I'm still just a rat in a cage. That, that doesn't work. Here. I'm better for it. Yeah. Um, these are three movies that I felt rage during and I don't feel rage in almost any movies. Um, I, yeah, I mean, where do I stand having seen all three of them? It definitely opens up the scope for some, for someone living a perhaps unexamined life. Uh, this will open up the available spectrum in your brain for what human behavior can look like. Um, and it's the worst part, the worst parts of human behavior. Unfortunately, there were very few surprises for me on that front, but I've had a weird sort of history. It's just, there's a lot of humanity that exists right outside the pale and um, to see it and how it can justify itself and how it can look exactly like doing your job or going to a theme park. Um, ah, fucking or do Jesus. Like it's humans. Most humans aren't like that, except for all humans are exactly like that. And all it takes <laughs> is the right circumstances. That's, a, that's an interesting way of putting it. I, uh, I've left 
all three of these, like as the looking back on it, obviously the night I saw Active Killing, I was there forever. I was just emotionally, I didn't go to sleep easily. But I think, in reflection of all three of these films, I'm oddly hopeful. Um, I'm glad that there's people like Andrew Bagby's parents in the world. I'm glad. God bless you guys. Yeah, I'm glad that Anwar, in spite of everything, can kind of. Even if it's his dip is no, I mean, I have no sympathy or empathy or admiration for the man, but like just the fact that a human can commit all that. be He's still up, there. He's, he's still there. He's, there's humanity there. And he's 72. There's only so much healing that's going to be done. But I think just the fact that this that he participated in this film, which now exists, which now all of Indonesia is going to be able to see. Um, I think that's a good thing. And I think when it comes to Blackfish, I, I there's not one person I've talked to who has seen Blackfish who has any other opinion other than this is bad. So in many ways, like I feel like it, it shitty, but it's kind of like, I'm very glad these, these films exist. All three are a force for good. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm burdened by the experience of having gone through all of these, but um, I'm happy for them to exist as so happy. Or I'm, I'm so happy that they are a thing that people can see and then hopefully let them change and burden them as well. <laughs> Which one are you most likely to want to see again? <laughs> That's a weird question. Why do you ask that question? Just out of curiosity. <laughs> Which one has like re- replay value? Because I never thought I'd see da- Dear Zachary again, but... Same I, here. I remember... I do Eddie re- wants to do a podcast about it. I know, well, not only that, but I do remember... <laughs> I remember, especially after my son was born, I, I had like a trigger flashback to watching Dear Zachary. I'm like, oh God. Because um, I was like, that moment when I was holding my son for the first time, Dear Zachary actually popped in my mind at one point, uh, which is awful. But... Um, but I was, you know, prior to doing Fire in Plain Sight, I knew structurally there was something I could get out of it um, in terms of, you know, technique wise that I kind of wanted to emulate. Uh, and watching it again, it was just as hard, but I felt like, you know, I could see myself watching this again, which is something I never thought I'd ever do. You know, and as hard as Act of Killing was, I want to see it again, you know, and you did see it again. So for you, which one has like the more most likely replay value? And. <sighs> I guess the answer is active killing because you already saw it again. I can't answer that really because I'm not sure what the circumstances would be under which I would ever want to watch it again. No, no, no. That I would need to watch it again. Right. Yeah. I'm watching a movie a second time because I'm looking for something. Right. In it. Uh, so are you are, are you just, I, I mean, just by and large, do you, are you, do you not watch a lot of movies on multiple viewings or specifically documentaries? Um. Yeah, I think it's specifically documentaries. And I think, I, I, I hear this a lot with people. Like there's, um, there's not too many docs that get a ton of replay value. I will watch Dogtown and Z-Boys whenever. I'll watch Kids Stays in the Picture whenever because I find them highly entertaining. And and I'll even dramas. Like, I'll, you know, I'll watch uh, The Departed whenever. I'll watch... Um, I watched a couple episodes of Civil War twice. There, yeah, there yeah. Are, there are some documentaries I'll watch repeatedly. I've watched King of Kong a few times. We can talk about Exit Through the Gift Shop sometime and how that falls on the documentary right. spectrum, but I've watched that a few times. I would watch Blackfish again or maybe a couple more times. Uh, there's a few, but some largely of the, some to of the, show them to people. I think well, so. it's more like the experience of watching it. If it uh, if it's actually a fun experience to watch and not just either horrifying or an info dump, uh, then if it's something that I like to watch, then I like to watch that for the same reason I like to watch whatever else. But yeah, like I'll I'll see documentary like doc- at, at documentaries of this style of this scale of this sort of import function more as a brain kind of, check. Yeah, like wayfinding signage on your own moral compass. That's a really good way of putting it. Yeah, that's yeah. If only to feel kind of good at yourself, like okay, I'm not, 
I'm not a piece of shit. Okay, good. I'm not like I'm not like this guy here. That's that's a good thing. Uh, interesting stuff. Interesting discussion, guys. I um, I, I think the world is sort of better like the, the for these three films specifically. A lot of documentaries are are you know as you said a, a, like uh, an info dump, looking through an encyclopedia, um, looking at Wikipedia for information. These films sort of transcend that. They definitely pass the lectern test, um, and they they pass the replay test in the sense that. You know, it's important that people see them, and you could definitely show them to other people and yeah. feel like you're getting yeah. something out of it. So, very cool. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Documentality. Teague, would you do the honors? I would be happy to. This has been Documentality. You can always find more episodes of this and also our other podcast at friendsinyourhead.com. Go to the forum and subscribe. Involve yourself in the conversation. It's a great community of people, and there's more every week. Seriously, please go. I'm not kidding about it being a good forum, guys. It's a good one. It's a good one. It's the last forum on the internet where no one flames each other. Mostly. Anyway, you can go buy our shirts or uh, throw us some money. We're not asking, we're just saying. Holden Hill Design maintaining the website until next week. I am T. Christie. Eddie Doty. Paul Santagata. This has been Documentality, people. Good night, good night. Woo! Uh, now we really need a theme song. I know, right? Well, no, I like the... Oh, the, 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 the jazz thing? I right. love that. Right, I cool. love that last time. Thanks, Owen. Woo! Woo! We got uh, 13 was... minutes. Yeah, sorry that the first like normal episode of Documentality was okay. So, what are the biggest bummer movies? Massive in amounts of depression. That's my fault. This is my it's my no, brain no, space. Well, I mean, this is where I live. <laughs> it's, I live in the shadows. Trendsinyourhead.com. <laughs>